Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor John McDougall. Thanks, worship team. Good morning, church family. It's good just to huddle up together today, isn't it? To uh, fix our eyes on our Lord to hear from him, to, to be nourished through his word, and then just to love each other, remind each other you're not alone. And so thanks for being here today. Week two of our 10-week Purify series, and we talked about last week, this series really is at the heart and the core of our entire ministry year. We're praying, Lord, creating us a pure heart that we might go be a blessing. And so last week, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned we I'm anticipating every excuse in the book to call in sick on our Sunday morning gathering, and wouldn't you know it, a winter storm drops on week two, our Colts lose last night, so we're all minorly depressed, and we have reasons not to show up, but you showed up today, so would you just take a moment and give somebody close by a fist bump and say, way to go, way to be here, all right. But, uh, but excited for where the Lord's going to take us today. We're chasing the question, how do we live with a pure heart? And I, I don't know if God's stoking this, this uh, longing in your heart, but there's an increasing longing in my own heart just saying, Lord, would you purify the unseen part of me? Would you just, where, where there's this impurity of motive where even as I do good things for you, there's sometimes that side of me that, that I'm doing it to be seen or I'm doing it to look good or, or whatever it may be. Lord, would you purify my heart? Would you purify my heart so that I don't want your will just some of the time, but in those moments of temptation that I'm wanting your will then as well. Purify my heart that I might love you and love the people around me as you've called me to do. And that's the question that we're chasing. How do we live with an, with an increasing purity of heart. How does it happen? And last Sunday, we, we took a look at that first step, which it begins with prayer, where Jesus said to his followers right there in the garden, their moment of, really a, a moment of temptation, crucible, evil all around, and he said, guys, watch him pray, watch him pray, watch him pray. And we said, well, how do I watch him pray when, like the disciples, I tend to fall asleep? Pray the book. Man, what a great... Um, right in front of us, but this is the, his part of the conversation. And so we begin praying through Scripture, and we hear God speak. We meet with him in his word as we pray the book. So step one is pray the book. Today we come to step two in that process. And to set the stage, just to encourage you, when we begin praying, Lord, would you create in me a pure heart, is he going to answer that prayer? He will provide for us. And, and we're going to look each week, receive one truth that will really help us there was a moment that happened this week where um, I just have to share this story to set it up. And it's of little Tannen here. Tannen Johnson was, uh, Wes and Janae noticed that Tannen was grabbing the broom around the house and liking to sweep things up. Now, we all knew Janae was going to be an amazing mom, but she's got her kid cleaning the house before he turns two. So she'll be teaching a parenting class here coming up. But, uh, Wes and Janae were talking in the morning there, and they're like, you know, this big broom is cumbersome, so we need to go looking for a, uh, a toy sweeping set. So they put that on their to-do list. Well, Janae was out walking through the hood, 
neighborhood that morning and it was trash day and guess what was out in front of someone's house in the trash it was this <laughs> so she grabs that brings it back and you can see Tana's having a blast man he is ready he's got his own broom everything he needs to pure purify the house and it just reminded me you know what when you say, Lord, would you create in me a pure heart? Give me what I need to purify. Do you think he's going to answer that prayer? Oh, yeah, through his word. And today I'm praying that just as this little purification set showed up in the hood, the truth we're going to go through today will be that for your soul. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us. And just uh, we know that you promised that, that when you began a good work, in our hearts as we come to you in faith in Jesus faith in Christ and and uh, surrender our lives to you that this purification process is something that you're going to see through but we know that we play a part in it and so I pray as we take your word today that that uh, you would empower us to to hear it to uh, understand it and then to live it out that that our hearts might become Pure as your heart is pure. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as we come into this second step in the, the process of living with a pure heart, the question comes to mind, how do we process those moments of failure? As I think about failure and you think about your own life, it's one of the toughest moments when we come face to face with the reality of, of our own personal failure, isn't it? I was, I was going to use the illustration of the Bears kicker last week. I don't know if you saw the Bears-Eagles game, but we're here a field goal kicker. All he has to do all day long is kick field goals, right? I mean, it can't be that hard. So when the game's on the line, they're one kick away from Super Bowl hopes, a kickable field goal. Remember that? I don't know if you saw it. I was going to use the Bears illustration, but Colts fans, we, we felt it last night. As our Mr. Clutch, Adam Benatari, shanks one and, and shanks an extra point. But, but this poor kicker for the Bears, he goes up, they snap the ball, he kicks it, and just as he's kicking it, or before they kick the timeout, so they to ice the kicker. And that one, he put dead, dead straight through the, the field goal post. But now he has 60 seconds of hard time to pay, and he pays it. And uh, they go ahead, kick it again, and if you saw the game, he kicks it, it's up, up, right into the goalpost. Dink, dink, out. Failure. And what happens in those moments of failure? What, what do you feel in your own heart when you come to your own moment of failure? There's the temptation to quit, to just spin into the ditch of despair and think, man, I'm a loser, and I just quit. I, I'm going to quit trying. There's the temptation to, to spin into the ditch of denial where we think, well, it wasn't that bad, or, or we minimize the failure. We can also um, drift into blame shifting and, and play the victim. Well, it's not my fault, or circumstances, if it was a better snap, I wouldn't have failed. Failure is painful. It hurts. And it can put us in the ditch of despair and denial. How do we process those moments of failure, especially when they're personal failures, when we hurt the people who matter the most around us, when we hurt our God who loves us, when we hurt the people around us, how do we process those moments? And the step we're going to take today is a step that enables us to actually grow through those moments. 
When we begin to pray, Father, would you purify my heart? What happens? <laughs> when we start to pray for purity, what does God do? He reveals impurity. He puts a spotlight on that area of our, our heart and our motives that is impure, and it's hard to look at it. We, we don't want to look at it. Our tendency is to, to set it aside, to keep on. To, to, we don't like looking at our failure, and yet if we will see our failure and allow that moment to, uh, and take the truth that he gives us, it can actually help us to become more like Christ. And so the second step in the purify process can be summed up in one word, and it's this word, confession. Today we're going to follow David, King David, as he leads us along the path, out of the ditch of failure, along this path of confession. And the text we're going to unpack is a text that you'll want to mark in your Bible, return to again and again. It's one of the seven psalms of confession. It's one of the most well-known, possibly the other most well-known psalm of confession is Psalm 51. And it's helpful to know that, that Psalm 51 was written by David in the, just the agony of realizing what he had done as he committed adultery and murdered, and murdered a guy, murdered Uriah, one of his soldiers. Psalm 32 is written after Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, we feel just the, the deep anguish in Psalm 32, what we see is it's written as a, a teaching tool to help us as we process through many failures in our lives. And it is just a powerful gift that God has given us. As we work through this psalm, we'll work through five checkpoints in it. We'll start in verse 1 where, where David begins with the why. He says, okay, why should we even walk along this path of confession? And he says this, blessed is the one. Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Here David paints the picture of, of what life could be. And don't you love the way he says it two times? Blessed is the one. It's like he's seeing an individual. You could put your name in there. Blessed is the one. And, and he's saying, is the one who sinned or, or starts with transgressions are forgiven. That word transgression is the word used for um, doing something that's prohibited. So it's like there's a line in the sand or you picture a wall and it's stepping over that wall. It's crossing the wall. It's doing what we know we should not be doing. And he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions, those things that they've done are forgiven. The word forgiven means to lift and carry away. It's to, um, and specifically in this context, it's the guilt of our sin before God, to take that away. And remember under the old covenant where God called the, the high priest one time a year to meet with the nation and take this goat, this, they called it a scapegoat, and put all the sins of the nation symbolically on this goat and then lead the goat into the wilderness. And that was the picture of forgiveness where that goat would drift away into the distance and the people were to see God was basically, in his grace and mercy, allowing their sin to be taken away with that goat. That's the picture that's in this text. Blessed is the person whose sins are carried away. It's what uh, John the Baptist had in mind that day he saw Jesus. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away, forgives the sins of the world. And then the word sin here, whose sins are covered, that word sin is another word for, for the wrong things that we do that describes 
not doing what we should do. It's literally missing the mark. It's like when you're kicking that field goal. It's not getting the, the football even to the goalpost. We, we, we fail to do what we should do. And he says, blessed is the one who sin the Lord does not count against them and, and in whose spirit is no deceit. One of the things we lose in our English translations in verse 2 there, the word blessed is plural. And, and the idea that God's wanting us to get across is it's not just one blessing. It's like a mountain of blessings, a river of blessings is flowing to us. If we are the person whose sins are covered, transgressions forgiven, sin covered, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Really neat picture here, that last phrase, in whose spirit is no deceit, literally, in whose heart is no hypocrisy. The person who doesn't have this divided heart, this impure heart, that, that as they do things, we, as we do what we do, we want two things. But, but rather there's this purity of heart. Blessed is this person. So we read this and saying, okay, yeah, this would be great, but is it possible? And how do we get that? How do we experience that? And David creates the hunger for us, and then he says, this is the path. And he takes us into the first checkpoint. It starts with the groan of, con the groan of conviction. Verse 3 he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand, speaking of God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Here David is describing what it feels like to live under the weight of God's, um, of our guilt before God. He says, when I kept silent. And isn't it interesting when we are faced with our own sin or something we've done that's wrong, our first instinct is to keep silent, to hide it, like Adam and Eve, to run. The picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, remember they had sinned and God comes looking for them and they're silent. And David describes his own journey the same way. When I kept silent, it says my, my bones were wasting away. My, uh, and through my groaning all day long. The picture of just a constant sense of guilt and so that I don't know if you felt this, but when it's not right between you and God, it doesn't matter how beautiful the day, how, how blue the sky, it's all gray, isn't it? It doesn't matter how wonderful the moment, there's just this um, groaning. And the word groaning here, he describes it, it's, as a, it's a, the groan of a, an animal or a beast that's actually been injured and just groaning out. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This is the picture of the Father's firm but gentle discipline on our lives. And then he says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When, when our relationship with God is fractured and we're living under the weight of our guilt, if you felt your strength go, he pictures that. It's like when you're out mowing the lawn in the middle of, you know, July and it's humid and it's, you just can't drink enough water to keep yourself going. And that's life under the weight of guilt. It's so tempting to keep silent, isn't it? To pretend it wasn't that bad, to pretend this area of my heart, whatever it may be, is, is not that bad, but the outcome is always the same. We groan under conviction. I was thinking about pictures of this in my own life and realized this even overflows into the canine world, doesn't it? Our, our cute but often rebellious little white dog, Riley. <laughs> I'll come home from work sometimes and... Usually, Riley's just, 
doing what dogs do, giving me all the love she can. I'm the center of her universe. Me coming home is like the highlight of her day. She's giving me hugs as dogs would give hugs. But there are some days every once in a while that she will, when I come home, it's like she can't even look at me. She's she just, she's just, and she slinks over to her bed. Normally her ears are up, tail up, but her tail's between her legs and her ears are down and she slinks over and just lays in her bed. I'm like, oh no, Riley, what'd you do? <laughs> Transgression, right? I clearly said, don't cross that line, and she crossed the line. And so I'm like, Riley, what is it? Show me, and she won't. She just stays there in her bed, so I have to go walking through the house, and sure enough, I find it. You know, usually she's invaded Jesse's backpack and OD'd on chocolate, which means we're going to have to pay for that for that day and the days to come. A relationship has been fractured. She slinks to her bed. Under the weight of this guilt, What's the answer? This is the beauty of what God's given us. Confession is not for him. Confession is for us. It's the way home. And here we see David giving us the hope of confession. Checkpoint number two, the practice of confession in verse five. He says, then, then, this is the turning point. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. He breaks the silence, and he says, and I did not cover up my iniquity. The word iniquity is the third word he uses to describe sin, and it's literally a a twisted or a crookedness in us. It's that idea of an impure heart, and he says, I did not cover up my iniquity. Our tainted desires, our our iniquity, our, our twisted motives take many different forms, don't they? As humans, we've categorized seven, the seven deadly sins. And they show themselves in a variety of ways, but I, listing them out, the sin of desires that, that play out, the sin of laziness or sloth, not doing what we know we should be doing, lust, desire, just um, running really our lives, rage or anger, when we allow anger as a gift, is an emotion used, we're called to use to solve problems. We just let it um, lead us rather than us lead it. Pride, that desire that contains so many motives. Envy, where we're looking around, comparing rather than looking to love. Gluttony, whether that be food or whether it be some other excess that we just gorge ourselves on. Greed, where, where we let money and the desire for money be the controlling fact in our life. The list goes on. The danger is that we cover these things, right? David said, confession, then I turned it. I did not cover. I uncovered. But our tendency is to cover, and it's like covering cancer. It will. Our sin, whatever it looks like, will kill us unless we're killing it. And how do we kill it? We uncover it to the, to the, uh, the one who can heal us. Here our creator gives us the path to the blessed life, and it's the path of confession. I love the way David says it in the second part of verse 5. He says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Do you feel his resolve? He's like, I'm going to do this. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And the word confess is important. It means saying the same thing as God says about our sin. It's agreeing with God that this is wrong, that my heart is tainted, that that I do have 
a desire here that's, that's not right and needs to be cleansed. And I hate it. I don't want this in my life, and I'm ready to turn from it. When we confess our sin to the Lord, what does he do? I love this, this next step. The next move is God's move. David says, I, I said, I will confess my sin to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And this is the, the incredible gift that God has given us through faith in Jesus Christ, where when we come to him in faith and we ask him, we confess our sin, I was wrong, he is faithful to forgive our sin. Isn't it interesting what happens? Our, our temptation is to cover our sin. As long as we cover our sin, it will destroy us. But what's the way out? When we uncover our sin, what does he do? He covers it. You say, well, how? It raises the, the important question, how can a just God forgive us and still remain just? Do, we've done things that, that need punishment, deserve punishment, and this is where we, we return to the cross, isn't it? Where, where we remember that Jesus came for this purpose, lived a perfect life we couldn't, went to the cross as our substitute, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in that God put our sin upon him. And when he died in our place, suffered the punishment that we deserved, his blood covers our sin completely. What I love about the, the gift of salvation that we've received in Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, when you trust Christ, as your Savior, and believe that what he did on the cross was, was sufficient to cover all of your sin. Not only does God forgive our sin, but he cleanses our hearts, purifies us. It's a process. It's not immediate. But he begins to change that desire in us that wanted our way, where we start to just look at our way as vomit. Like, I don't want that. And little by little, as we confess our sin... Those moments of failure become moments of growth where he purifies our heart. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, John says it this way, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, unrighteous, all unrighteousness. So the big idea is this, when we fill the, the the groan of conviction, the pain of conviction, to, to allow that to move us into the practice of confession. The third checkpoint here, we see then, we say, what do we do with this? And here God calls us into actually praying for, con, um, it's the call of confession or the calling of confession in verses 6 and 7. He says this, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And then verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Here David with the word therefore is pivoting and saying, all right guys, what do, you, what do we do with this truth? He says pray. Pray for confession. And the picture he uses here, surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him is a, a metaphor. It's a beautiful picture of what are the mighty waters? They're, they're the judgment of God, similar to the, the waters that came over Noah. They're the judgment that we all deserve. But when we pray to him and seek forgiveness, we are lifted up out of those waters into a place of safety, and they will not reach us. 
Isn't that awesome? And that's the, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness that we experience. And then I love the way that, that he describes his experience, which is ours as well in verse 7, where he says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and you surround me with songs of deliverance. That word songs of deliverance is literally shouts of deliverance. You are my hiding place. In those moments that we fail, and we're feeling the guilt, and we're unworthy before God, we've perhaps hurt the people around us, we may suffer the, be suffering the consequences of our failure, where do we turn? And here the text calls us to, to run to God as our hiding place. In the Old Testament, God set up some cities called cities of refuge throughout Israel, where if you killed someone on accident, you would run to that city. And the, that's the picture that may be in the psalmist's mind here where he's saying, when you find yourself in failure and realize that there's an impurity in your heart and you've sinned against God, run to the refuge of Jesus Christ. Run to him. He is our hiding place. He is faithful, isn't he? This is one of the, the verses this week as I was prepping for the message. I just sensed God saying, John, pause right here and Soak in this truth, rest in this truth, and lead the church family to the hiding place. There will be times in each one of our, our lives when the enemy is going to unleash on us, specifically in the realm of failure, and you're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to be tempted to despair. You're going to be tempted to uh, just say it, possibly um, turn into denial, not look at the the dark place that, that needs to be purified in your own heart. It's too dark. It's too deep. You can't change. The enemy will be whispering all kinds of things into your head, condemning you. You're a loser. God can't forgive you for that. And we live in our own doghouse. We live under this dark cloud of despair and guilt. And you guys, this is the truth. This verse is the fighting verse to claim the rhema of God, the word of God, and I would encourage you in that moment, take this verse and say it out loud so the forces of darkness can hear you as well. You are my hiding place. Our hiding place is not a, person, not a place. It's a person, a person who promises to be with us. And I don't care how dark the moment, how great the sin, be it adultery, be it murder, you name it, there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God. You are my hiding place, and you will protect me from evil. When the forces of darkness are swirling around, nipping at our heels, seeking to take us out, he lifts us up out of the mighty waters. He will protect us, and here's the beautiful part. You will surround me with shouts of deliverance. Isn't that awesome? This is our heritage. This is our inheritance as followers of Jesus Christ, and this is the promise to claim on this journey of, of being purified. So the next move that he calls us to make, or the groan of conviction leads us to the path of confession. We pray, for, um, ask him to forgive our sin. He forgives our sins. And then it's really neat what happens here with David. He, uh, in verse 8, he, uh, he, he gives the gift of guidance. Check this out. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Some scholars feel this is God talking. It could be, but I think it's probably David just saying, okay, 
now that I've learned my lesson, I'm going to instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. When we've hit the, the ditch of failure and we've seen an impurity in our own heart and asked forgiveness and we've been restored, those are the moments that actually we have now some wisdom and some information to pass on to the people who are coming up behind us. And as we set out to be a blessing, perhaps one of the great blessings that we can be is looking back and, and saying to those around us, watch out, it's slippery right there. And maybe it's somebody we see that are a lot like us and like, I fell down that ditch and I just want to warn you. And that's what David's doing. And what's, he, what's his bit of advice? It's in verses 9 and 10. He says, do not be like the horse and the mule, which have no understanding, but must, must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. He's saying, don't be so stubborn that the only way God can get your attention is to, by cranking up the pain in your mouth to get you to turn. So will God use pain to turn us? Hebrews 12, yes. We'll be getting into that a little later. It's the discipline of the Father. If you are his child, one of my professors in college said, um, God will break your leg if he has to, to keep you from running from him. And he's like that shepherd. Sometimes when a sheep would constantly be running off, the shepherd would actually break the sheep's leg so it couldn't run off. And he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be stubborn where God has to use pain, um, like the bit and the bridle in a mule's house. A horse is always running ahead. A mule's always lagging behind. He's saying, rather, um, be, be sensitive and surrender quickly to the, the convicting work of God. And then verse 10 he says, many, he sums it all up, many are the woes of the wicked. It's the sorrows of the wicked or the tears of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And just come back to that simple truth in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so here David sets a great example for us. As we exit the ditch of failure, to prepare to share the gift of guidance. Who can we help along the way? And then we come to the fifth checkpoint. And this is the, uh, this is so good. I love this. This is kind of a hard place to be as we think about failure and think about the impurities of our heart. But watch this. This is where he ends. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord. Was Paul the first one to say that back over in Philippians chapter 4? Nope. Paul was quoting David. And what was the context that Paul was quoting David? As we come up out of our failure, what's our posture? We're rejoicing in our Lord. He says, be glad, all you who are righteous, um, who are now doing the right things. And I love this last part. Sing, and it's literally shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart, pure in heart. Is it possible to live with a heart that's growing in increasing purity? And the answer is, oh yeah. And it ought to be the theme of our song. So when we get together today and on Sundays at our worship gatherings throughout the week, yes, we will have had failure after failure after failure. But God, through our, those moments of failure, has provided a path for us to become increasingly pure through the sanctifying work of His Holy Spirit and through what Christ has given us, it's this path of confession. Isn't that awesome? So bringing it all together, how do we grow in purity of heart? Especially in those moments when God puts a spotlight on a part of our soul that's just reeking with impurity. 
We allow the groan or the pain of conviction to, to move us to the path of confession. We confess our sin, God forgives our sin, and we shout for joy. <laughs> and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Confession is the pathway to purity of heart. And purity of heart is the pathway to where? Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. And what does, when we're living in fellowship with God, what's that the pathway to? Joy. And that's the psalm, isn't it? It's how the psalm ends. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad, you, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. When we lived in Wisconsin, we lived on a road, a steep hill. And we lived in a little white house there on that hill. And on my day off, one of my favorite activities was when the uh, school bus would come pulling down our hill. And it would, it would stop about 50 yards below our house. And off the school bus would, would jump our son, Chad. You know, and he's got his backpack on, kindergarten, first grade. And he would come running up that white sidewalk. I'd be out, often out there waiting on the sidewalk, and, and he'd come running up that sidewalk, and we'd grab the after-school snack together, and then we'd just go do something fun, you know, like Sabbath, uh, jump on the trampoline, or ride the bike, or kick a soccer ball, or watch a movie, or just something fun together, and we just shared that moment. Well, one day, he gets off the bus, and he's not running up that hill it's like he can barely make it up the hill. It's like every step was just, uh, uh. He, the backpack that was on his back, it looked like he was carrying a 100-pound weight. You know, he's just now bent under this thing. And as his dad, I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with him? And, and as he gets closer, sure enough, his face is sad. And I'm like, Chad, what's wrong? And he can't even say it. He just breaks out in sobs and just drops right there on our, the step, you know. And so I sit down next to him, and I put my arm around him. like, buddy, what happened? thinking did some idiot, you know, mess with him on the bus or what's going on. Finally, he gets, the, uh, gets it out, and he says this. I had to move my clip. His teacher, if you got in trouble in school, you had to move your clip, and he had to move his clip, and he was just broken under the weight of his guilt and his offense and his transgression, and so, you know, I'm thinking, Phew, this could have been a lot worse. Let's talk, buddy. <laughs> we're gonna have to. We're gonna have these moments, right? Failure. How do you respond to it? And I talked about. He's. It's good that he had a broken heart, and he he told this to me. And uh, and now, how do we recover from failure? We we learn, and we don't do it again. Don't be like the horse and the mule. But as I picture that young, dearly loved child stepping off the bus with a guilty heart. That's that's our story, isn't it? But aren't you thankful we have a father who doesn't want us to stay on the bus huddled up in shame and fear and silence. We have a father who doesn't want us to get off the bus and run in the opposite direction. We have a father who paved a way, a path of confession for us to walk up. And it's not easy to walk up. it. We don't walk, like walking up that path. But his passion is that we would walk that path, and we have to walk it again and again and again into relationship with Him. And when we do, He puts His arm around us, and He says, I love you. Yes, it's wrong, but I've paid for that. 
come. Walk with me. Share life together. Turn from that. Don't do that again. But let's be together. The path of confession is what leads to intimacy with him. Purity of heart. And as we do this journey, little by little, we, we grow to hate those things that, that would separate us from him. And we move to that spot that David is at in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. You join me in prayer, and as we pray, we'll just have a, a time to confess whatever it is that God may be nudging you to confess this morning. But Father, as we come into your presence, we thank you for your word to us today that paves the way back into fellowship with you when we failed you. Jesus, thank you for making this possible through your sacrifice for us on the cross. Lord, we know that we are blessed in that you have forgiven us all of our sin. Lord, it's, you've described it as being as far as the east is from the west. Buried our sin in the deepest parts of the, the ocean. Through the prophet, you said, though our sins be as scarlet, you have made them as white as snow. And today, I can't help but think that it's no mistake that you covered our land with snow. So that as we think about those dirty parts of our soul, we can see it today and throughout this week knowing that you wash us white, you make us pure, and we pray in these moments that you would do that. I invite you now just to uh, whatever place of sin you need to confess, that you would just confess that to the Lord. our sin to you. We kneel here at the cross and just open up our heart to you and just pray that you would change what needs to change. Lord, help us not be like the horse and the mule, which have to be controlled by pain, but let us be controlled by love, never to come back to this place. God, I pray whatever sin it is that, that we're letting go of, that this would be last time we have to be at this place set us free we pray purify our hearts Lord as we stand back up to our feet and get ready to go out to another week we do so rejoicing in you living in the joy of, of being forgiven God I praise you for that and as we sing this song we just put, fix our eyes on you as the great I am we know that you're big enough not only to create this world, we know you're big enough not only to cover this landscape with snow, but you are big enough to set us free from what holds us in bondage. And we pray that that would be happening even in these moments. And as we go by faith, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.